Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. So today we're doing things a little differently. We're heading behind the scenes to chat to Lloyd Anthony Smith, resident impresario at Nairox Sculpture Park and Dio Pastori. Welcome, Lloyd. Thanks, Victoria, for having me and for using my full moniker on air. I'm very glad to be here today. Yay. Looking forward to some chats. Let's see what comes of all this. So I want to kick off with the most important question. What sparked your love of music? I mean, definitely that initial phase of growing up and as I said, when it, it felt like things that were played on the radio were of more sort of heart and substance and just musically like quite diverse and, you know, big focuses on melody and lyrics. And there was always like kind of a positive affirmation about a lot of the music come out of the 80s. You know, I, from my folks, I remember uh, listening to things like Simon and Garfunkel or Mango Groove and... You know, the, everything in between that, it's like, it's heartfelt stuff. It, it's of substance. So that was my initial, but without really knowing it, you know. But still, you'd have like parents that have like a vinyl player and go and listen to Madonna's True Blue for the weekend or whatever. And that was a good way to spend the time. So I guess from around there, but musically, uh, my interests got peaked a bit more sort of coming out of school out of high school mm. I, um, I had a few very close friends who their musical tastes and uh, experience was a bit deeper and like then I was getting introduced to things like Jimi Hendrix or Rodriguez or Sean Phillips who we eventually would have a, a fun uh, sequence of adventures with and yeah I mean music is just it's just one of those things that resonate with people irrespective of the genres that you fancy or whatever like you know everybody's got something that that hits home for them or that one song that one artist that one album sometimes it's the nostalgia sometimes it talks to something that personal that you're going through where you're like oh yes that's exactly it that's what i'm thinking that's what i'm feeling how did you know that leonard cohen and like so i mean it's just it's the most amazing way for people to communicate and if you look at songs from like bob dylan and stuff which you know some of them are more than half a century old and they're still relevant they mm. still are like that pertinent in the message and in the words and they're still that clever in the the construction of it you know it's like it's like poetry with melody and music it's a wonderful combination and obviously my sort of life path leading me the way that it did I've come across some of the most incredible musicians just by virtue of the industry I'm in and because that industry happens to be the South African music industry like I think we are completely spoiled for choice in terms of the genres the ability of the musicians the originality of some of the stuff that comes out of South Africa it's mm. like We've got incredible young and emerging artists. We've got brilliant established artists. We've got like hidden artists or forgotten artists that, you know, people have just uh, revered at certain times in the world and certain places in the world who are still plying their trades in some form or another, but maybe like didn't keep up with the, the sort of digital wave of things or you know just sort of slipped into more obscurity or as more people got exposed to different genres and things like this you know that some of them is just slightly forgotten but it doesn't make them any less brilliant it doesn't make their work any less significant mm. yeah just the the multitude of of styles and genres that we have in this country is just like it's mind-bending and i think it's it's easy to lose sight of that when, when we're in it the whole time mm. because we don't know what it's like out there and if you go out there and see some of the other things and stuff like that like i mean from my limited experience of that like it just it doesn't have that richness that you kind of associate with uh, the musicians and the artists that we get to cross paths with um in in our industry so i don't know for me it was just a sort of aligning of all of those things just coming together and 
yeah, I don't know. So, like, I don't know how much of it was my my exact intention and how much of it was, you know, just the world sort of uh, encouraging me in a certain direction. But anyway, it's definitely got me deep into the musical arts in, in South Africa. And it's, as I said, we are lucky. We're blessed with riches beyond, like, people. That's why I think when certain bands uh, and artists make it overseas, like we've seen, like, BCUC do so well yeah. now, I mean, obviously, COVID's changed things slightly, but they were touring three, four, five times a year. They're in Germany, they're in Holland, they're in France, they're getting signed here, they're playing Glastonbury and stuff like this. It's mad. That's amazing. Meanwhile, they've been in South Africa playing for 10 years and hardly anybody knew them. So they didn't change much, you know. It's just suddenly there's a discerning, more discerning uh, audience that has come across them and are, and are happy to and eager to celebrate them. But I'm like, God, I'm not saying we don't do that, but it's a generalization. But I think that, again, we're so, so lucky with all the, the troves of, uh, of great artists across many genres and across new styles and fusion styles that maybe it's easy to lose sight of that. Mm. But there's, there's an audience for them, for sure. I mean, it's so interesting you talk about the richness of South African artists because I found growing up myself that I was fed on a diet of international artists and I only realised probably in my early 20s how wonderful the artists here are. So I don't know what that is and how we get it in to a younger audience earlier, but we're definitely encouraged to listen to the internationals more than we're encouraged to listen to our local artists. Yeah, definitely. I think also, you know, from, from the era that we grew up in, you know, post like sanctions and stuff, when people were so hungry for the those international artists to come and play here and to hear them and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if there's a balancing act. I don't know whose responsibility it is if it's something like that, if it's the listener that needs to go out and find these things or the curious that wants to find them or the labels that, or the record companies who should be sort of introducing us to like, you know, we don't need to shove more American pop stars down people's throats in, in my personal opinion. <laughs> Obviously, some people like that stuff, which is fair fair play to them but like the radio especially is is such a big platform and you know if they're just playing you know american stuff like euro trash music like you know that's that's what then it's only down to the the curious to find those things you know but i mean i because i also wasn't exposed to that much south african stuff apart from mango groove who i referenced throughout because um they're obviously an inspiring band for for that time in the world yeah, if you start to then look back of the things like um, Tananas and obviously like the Johannes Karakorals and uh, the full frame movement and stuff like that. I mean, people were doing it. They were going for it. And like that stuff, there's there's some quality stuff in, in there as well. Never mind like the Madala Kunenis who's been, you know, performing since the 60s and 70s as well, you know, like since he was 12 years old or something. Madala's not on the local radios. I don't know if that's because taste is a certain way or if we're too scared to introduce things like that. I say we, generally I wouldn't be, but, you know, radio stations obviously have a, a specific MO and they got shareholders and all that jazz. And, you know, then it comes down to the manufacturing of product again, whereas oof, that essence is, is out there in, in South Africa, big time. Yeah, big time. So let's talk about you for a moment. Let's talk about your journey. What was your first introduction into the music industry to working within it? So less inspiration and more actual. Okay, so I was lucky enough to go to school with, with two great artists and musicians in Jamie Aitchison of Naming James fame and uh, Dane Rothblitz, a.k.a. Mr. Squid Fiddler of Some Grow Young Future fame. And at that stage... Jamie was sort of really blazing a trail because, you know, to come out of high school and stuff, you got battle the bands and all those in into school things, those cultural activities, or whatever. But Jamie was putting himself out on these stages, like he'd be at like some poetry club in Melville one night, or the Blues Room uh, in Rosebank the next, or 
you know, he'd, he'd built a, a little uh, homemade studio and then would invite Dane to come and record. And, you know, so we'd, we, me and Dane would then like cruise out and go and watch him. He's at right, the songwriters club in Newtown on Thursday. Like we got to go and check it out. Imagine there being a songwriters club now. Anyway, but like Jamie was the one who was like doing it. It's like a friend of ours on stage performing consummately, like very brilliantly and like as such a young performer. And it was so inspiring. I mean, for myself, who's not a performer, but then obviously that's that sort of sparked Dane to to get into it, and he encouraged him to come in and lay stuff down in in this little makeshift studio, and uh, like we'd all put on crazy little vocals after too many courts, and like just you know really get into things from there. So already from then, my my interest was piqued in the sort of the the way of it. And then um, I don't know if you recall, there was a Tans Cafe here at River at River Road. Yeah, such a little quaint, sweet venue, <laughs> low roof. There's your table. Have some chow, and then literally everybody would just sit and watch a performance. You know, it's not like uh, the performances, the background, or just some kind of like warm distraction. It was people really engaging, and like I remember, I used to go down to Tans and like try and book a, a slot or two for for Jamie and for Dane and. Uh, you know, by then there was a few other friends coming out of the woodworks who could maybe, you know, slap a bass, <laughs> like in an average kind of way or some lead guitar or whatever. So that was my initial um, interest uh, in that direction. And then I'd moved to Cape Town and I was working and, and living and studying there. And I got an invitation to go and work to do these occasional shows for a wealthy client um, who had these massive parties in the Seychelles like four or five times a year. So suddenly I was in this world of like big budgets, high concepts, like big ideas, like anything you can dream of in terms of production, you know, you can pull it together, which just opened my eyes, I think, to the possibilities of also just bringing different artists and, and artists that weren't even just musicians, but you still tie everything together. You know, the music, be it background music, be it music accompanying a performance or be it the actual live performing of instruments and, and song, like the way you're able to weave those things together to create an experience for an audience and for guests. Like, I don't know, there, there are some of those things where you, when you hit it right, like you, you feel it, like it's, it's palpable and you're just like, geez, okay, that's, that's possible. That, that can happen. And then also from that, I then got introduced to a variety of other artists because then we'd bring in like Steve Newman from Tananas would come in and perform and like I remember watching him for the first time at the Grahamstown Festival like like it took my head off like I was in tears I couldn't believe that this guy was there playing this this music and then we met Guy Battery and he came um, then we invited Tidal Waves and they came to perform and before you know it like your network of people that you you're becoming friendly with that you're getting to host while putting on like a an outrageous production just starts to grow and I think that it was because I did that uh, intermittently for like five years and then by the time that sort of finished I was set on doing something in music mm. but I guess using that new set of skills and knowledge that I'd acquired in that time so then I started doing little acoustic shows uh, so I bought myself a PA and a desk and sort of taught myself and my friend Vernon and Leroy also helped me show me how, to, how, how a desk works and taught me all about signal and 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 uh, phantom power so I started doing all these little shows around town obviously you've performed at a at a few of them mm -hmm. I remember you and Richard Brains quite clearly actually you had a I booked the two of you to play you know your individual sets and just before the afternoon was out it was just the two of you just like freestyling with one another and it's crazy to be able to even like remember that now so many years back but it, I think it, it was sort of the start of of that kind of an idea for me because then I started I, I said okay cool I would like to do a an acoustic festival you know I've we're bringing all these amazing artists and again it would be like tidal waves but instead of a full band it would be Sakes and Sam and maybe Charlie like a three-piece just like stripped down so again you're not you're not then held to ransom by the, the huge amount of tech and space and ticket sales that you need. Everything becomes a bit more 
quaint and intimate and mm. curated. My cousin and I decided to do a, a little acoustic festival. So we came up with, once we found a venue at Santon, uh, called Santon Central Park, which I think half exists now, but at the time it was sponsored by Blackberry and the upkeep of it was brilliant. Like that place was amazing. Just selling this brand new park in the middle of Santon. And we started doing the concerts called uh, Rise and Shine, um, which you obviously jammed on a few times as well. You know, that was like yoga in the mornings, healthy food, and then the music. So like the music obviously is the keystone to that stuff. But I guess what also interested me is obviously the, the, the full experience. Like if you're a guest, like how do you feel and interact throughout the day with, with what's on offer? So I think I just really enjoyed getting to sort of paint that particular canvas while presenting musicians who... We try to get a level between, because now when, you, when you're having to have a few more people, you've also got to be able to bring artists that maybe have a bit more of a following. But our intention was always to showcase the artists that we thought should have more of a following and would have if more people were just exposed to them. Absolutely. So we kept bringing in like artists that you know, a lot of people wouldn't even have heard of or were maybe a bit more obscure or younger or emerging or you know, just finding their feet or whatever the case is. But just trying to get a, a mix and, yeah, just trying to host artists in a lovely way and create a sort of pick-your-own-adventure for, for our guests. So that's pretty much how, no, that's how amazing. that rolled out. <laughs> and how lucky for us young artists to get on those lineups there's some really nice ones out there and it's crazy to look back on like photos and images of it uh, that exist now just by way of archives and and visual history but yeah it's just been a part of the process like there was always fun doing them but yeah i guess the world changes the world does change <laughs> but now the last few years you've been very involved uh, with nyrox and with Retrofest and a number of different iterations of it at the Sculpture Park. Can we talk about that for a bit? Can you explain the concept behind Retrofest? Yeah, with pleasure. So while we were doing these Rise and Shine concerts, I got a phone call from somebody saying, I've got this venue in the cradle of humankind. and I've got an idea for a concert and I hear you host these concerts. Do you want to come and meet and chat about it and I was like yeah that sounds that sounds great sure I mean I didn't really know much about the cradle at that stage <laughs> and then ended up living in it for like seven years but uh you know went out there and it was the the Nyrox director Benji who um he had this idea you know he's the the Nyrox sculpture park is like 20 hectare literally sculpture park just manicured lawns meandering waterways dams bird life otters fish and then an artist residency where artists, all kinds of artists from around the world are invited to come and spend time. It's a lot of visual arts and a lot of international artists. But he had this idea for a concert because they've got a very beautiful auditorium there. It's just this big lawn to amphitheater. And he said, because he's, you know, he's a child of like the 60s and 70s. Mm. And he said, look, I've got this idea. I want to host an event where we have contemporary South African acoustic musicians come and perform songs exclusively from the 1960s and 70s. So I said, sweet, that sounds totally doable. I like your venue. Thank you. And I think we can put something together. So we came up with the name Retrofest. And obviously you were on the, the first one. I think we ended up doing like five or six of them over the years. They were just so popular because... Again, I think it speaks to that thing of, of nostalgia where, you know, people know they're going to be hearing songs from Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and Rodriguez and this and this. They're like, so, you know, people came out for an event that's, you know, a venue that was maybe a bit obscure at the time and a first time event that, you know, no one really knew anything of. At that Retrofest, this big collaborative thing ended up being born initially because by the time everybody had played their sets, then like the last sets, everybody came on to do, I think that the times are changing. And like with the different artists who'd just been performing, each taking like a verse and stuff like this. And 
the feeling of it just by the end of the day it's like you know people had like goosebumps or shedding little tears or whatever like the the energy and the atmosphere just cranked up in tight like you could feel it and it obviously then just inspired this idea of okay actually what we need to be doing is not just for the artists to come cool you're on it one o'clock play your 40 45 minute set and then thank you for the day it's like cool instead all the artists are invited to the artist residency at Nyrox, so on site for two or three days beforehand. There's various little pockets of studios and spaces to rehearse and practice and workshops and things like that. And sometimes artists who'd never even met each other before are now suddenly sitting there and they're like, oh, do you want me to play some flute on that? Oh, that sounds nice, thanks. Oh, but my friend here's got the double bass too. That's gonna be good on that, right? So then suddenly, a song that, you know, one person's just been tinkering around with in their room all their life. Now I've got like five people in the same track, you know, sometimes total strangers, and they're all on stage together performing the song, which now has taken on a life of its own. It's, mm. a, it's like a, a whole new story. The beauty of it as well is that it's a, it's a one-off thing. It's a moment in time. If you're there to enjoy it and experience it, you know all about it. It's not there to be replicated. It's not like that's not the setup of these people going forward or anything necessarily, but it just creates something new and something a little bit magic. And that became a big, big emphasis for us going forward. I mean, magic is exactly the word. And I think what is so wonderful about those shows is it's not like that small group of people did the song that made magic and that's all anybody thought about. It was every single collaboration that you witnessed on that day did something to you. I mean, I've got goosebumps even thinking about it I know, it now. me too. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. the best. It's really like, it just takes it to the next level because again, you know, as, as South African musicians, you know, touring, performing, promoting your own shows, booking your own shows, advertising your own shows, all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, your capacity is also only so much. So then to be able to just sort of connect with all these other musicians who are all doing the same thing as well and be given the time and space, because that's the thing that we really noticed directly from that retrofest thing and, and almost incrementally afterwards once we were trying to sort of really foster it is that once these musicians are together it's the simplest thing it's so so fluid it's amazing how quickly people can just pick up with each other on songs they've never maybe heard before never played before and people that they've only just met and then it becomes a thing and it's so lovely because then so often like i've seen some of the collaborations that have happened at Nyrox then end up happening elsewhere in the world. Like just for example, I know like Tsubatsi Molloy who, from the Urban Village who plays at Nyrox a lot in various uh, formats. And, you know, he's obviously an amazing multi-instrumentalist and, and human. You know, we got him on one of the blues lineups. And, you know, the next thing I know, he's touring around with Albert Frost, full band, playing like up the creek and all these big shows and stuff like that which you know it, it wouldn't have happened otherwise so there's a really great feeling uh, about having a small part in in making that connection but once you make that connection ah you just see the artists run they just go for it i mean you've seen those nights in the in the residency where it just go like time dissolves and it's just like the fire just keeps going and it's just music coming out of all different chambers. You walk around and this person's collabing with this or they're having a discussion about that or they're looking into the, the lyrics of this or whatever. Like it just changes the, the format and, and it changes how it's presented. And I think the feeling of sort of camaraderie and connection between the artists that develop in that sort of three or four day phase prior to the concert, then just sort of comes out in the performance and I think people resonate with it. They, they feel it. Without a doubt. And it's rare as a musician to be able to make music for the original reasons that you began making music because life takes its toll and you're worried about the bills and you are raising children and there are these tiny little moments that you get to make music and to feel those feelings. But in that space, everything else is, dissolves. Yeah. And you are amongst it. 
And it does. It feels like the earth shifts. Yeah, and it's a beautiful shift. Like everybody that's in it in those times, like is so wholeheartedly in it because everybody gets it, you know. And it's a big kudos to to Nyrox and what Benji's built there in terms of making a, that sacred space for artists, you know, throughout all all the arts to be able to come and literally just be artists, not have to worry about like making meals or tidying up or any of that. It's just like, please come here. We'll take care of you on this sort of pace subsistence level and you guys go and do what you do best. Here is time and here is space. And I think for, for many artists, that's a, that's quite a, a gift. So I'm, I'm super grateful that Nyrox exists in that fashion and that, it's, and that it opens its doors to the arts. I think at some point there needs to be a documentary about one of those weekends. We did a couple of like, I guess they equated to just more like little music videos with uh, Franz Bormann, the cinematographer, does some amazing stuff actually. And he plays in the band Gunshot Blue with Peppy and stuff like that. And we had them for one of the other concerts, uh, Valentine's Blues. Mm -hmm. And he he took some amazing footage. Just, you know, I, I guess the story is just visual. It's not, it's, it's not sort of... Uh, verbally told but like the video of that it was just um it's, it's so nice to actually watch just to get a a feel for it because i think that day or that week we had 23 or 27 artists that oh. were all on that lineup so it was like cool we booked each of the slots and it was like manny walters and tidal waves and uh, albert frost was there and Django was there the other names elude me now, but then we'd bring, be like, okay, cool. Uh, and Ronald Davey on cello is going to come join. Tubatsi on flute and vocals. Tebojo Sedumedi on bass guitar. Uh, Richard Brains on slide. And suddenly we've just, we've just like brought in like this artillery of, mm. of instrumentalists. And then it's like, okay, cool, guys. Who's jamming with who when? It was an amazing um, result, actually, because it is the, the only concert that I've done where we didn't have a lineup mm. because the the collaborations became so fluid that backstage we just had a whiteboard with who's playing with who next. So like Albert Frost would go on and play three songs and then he'd go off and Anne would, would come back on and then uh, Zags would be playing keys and then he'd have three songs on that and then he'd go off and you know, Richard would come with the slide and it, there was no lineup. It was it, it, it was a, a really beautiful experiment, which worked just because everybody was that close and that in tune and that bought into it. It mm. wasn't like, oh, I'm only playing at one. I'm going to just chill for now and then finish your set and maybe watch one or two bands and then go home and stuff. Everybody's like in the whole day. It's like, okay, cool. I'm playing five songs now and then I've got a little break. Okay, I, you know, maybe we have some quick lunch and then I'm back so I can do harmonica on this song or whatever. Like just that's, yeah, I don't know. It was just a, a very uh, experimental concert and it, it worked out to be one of the loveliest actually. But yeah, there's, so there's like, a, that video exists and France did such a cool job with that that we did a Roots concert, which, which is one of my favorite ones at Nyrox. Mm. Uh, in terms of genre, where it's a lot of sort of more African-derived contemporary sounds. So a lot of like the sort of more elders like Pops Muhammad and Madala Kuneni. We had uh, the late Dr. Philippe Tabane played, I think, one of his last sets there, you know, performing with the younger up-and-coming people like the Urban Village or Sibu Silengaba and also just collabing. In France, we invited him to come and do a... A video of that as well and he also just captured it so beautifully so i mean there's those little tidbits that exist but i guess maybe one day a full-fledged documentary could be a fun one totally utilizing all of that uh, footage as well especially if it's so beautiful we've been talking about collaborations i mean i feel like collaborations can properly change the world but as an artist i know that sometimes collaborations can feel really scary have you ever had any incidences requesting an artist to perform and then explaining about collaboration and having any resistance no not even one the fear of it like the thing of it being a scary thing like i, I totally appreciate i understand how it would feel like that and 
I, you know, artists have, have, you know, expressed as much to me about that as well. They're like, geez, that's, it's quite daunting. But at the same time, you know, once they step into it and find a little, a little groove and a rhythm within that setup, it just, uh, you know, I think they, they get even more out of it than if they were just super relaxed about it. People are open to it. Like our artists, the artists that we have historically worked with the all that keen you know none of them were that precious about not changing something or not having someone else on their staff or anything like that that's that just wouldn't really fit but yeah apart from like people feeling a little bit of the the natural trepidation like they've all sort of risen to it and you know you come out the other end and it's just a, a whole nother euphoria the one artist that i was nervous to ask about the collaborations was when we did a fundraiser for the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund at Nyrox. And uh, we were very lucky to host Ladysmith Black Mambazo. And I had to go up to them and be like, hey guys, so it's so nice having you. I mean, it's obviously a real honor. It's like Mambazo, like it's, you know, they're a, a massively significant band in the context of South Africa and, and worldwide. And, uh, you know, I'd say to them, you know, we do this collabor this collaborative stuff so we've got all these sort of, you know, compared to them, everybody's young or emerging, I guess. But uh, we've got these this, these other younger artists on the lineup who are all going to perform their sets. But we would love, love, love if you guys were open to the idea f at the end of your sets to, you know, we, we've got rehearsal days to come in for one rehearsal day and maybe just do a, a song with these younger artists. Like it's a, it would be a huge thing for them and this and this. And like, I remember asking and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm pushing my luck a little bit here. And they were so, so chilled about it. They were like, yeah, no problem. Perfect. What time do you want us here? What? Okay, brilliant. So next thing I know we had like, because uh, I think on that lineup, it was um, uh, uh, the Muffins, Lude Lamini, uh, Dane and Tubatsi and Lerato um, were doing a, a, a sort of collab. They had been in residence and had come up with new tracks and stuff while there. And then at the end of Mambazo's set, where they performed themselves, oh, and uh, Kadasi and Makinga were there as well, the, the Maskandi guys from KwaZulu. Next thing, like, um, Lou's up there with uh, Kadasi and them, and they're doing Asim Bonyanga, with Mambazo, Dane's up there with them doing diamonds on the soles of her shoes with Mambazo. Like, it's like, I don't even know if they've done that with anyone except for Paul Simon. So it was just like, it was so, so crazy. And again, the you can feel it when you're in that amphitheater and and the, the stars align in that fashion and the music is what it is and the feeling is what it is. Like, it is, it is so, so real. Like, Again, there are people crying in the auditorium, like just in tears. And I don't know, music has that that power, that's that potential to affect people in such a such a positive way. And that was a, a real highlight, I think, in terms of um, just the collaborative aspect of what we do there. It's so exciting and so exciting for that audience. So unexpected. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. No one thinks it's coming. We've been working on it for days, we all know, but it's such a nice little ta-da. So that's, this is why audience need to turn up at live music events. Well, we're going to see now what the, what the case is going to be, you know. Like, as I said, um, I think previously uh, off-air, you know, with COVID and stuff, pre-COVID, you know, I think, you know, there's so many uh, events and it's so easy for people to be like, oh, I don't feel like it, or I'll go to the next one, or... You know, I'm just going to stay home and watch Netflix and get some takeaways. How's that working out now? You know, everybody's different side of that setup. So my my hope, my op my optimistic hope is that, uh, you know, people will be more inclined now to be attending live music, especially, or, I mean, any of the arts, any of the things that they just haven't been able to access now. You know, to be on the other side of this, hopefully there has been that sort of change in the psychology of people and what they want or what they are looking for or what they find an appreciation in. Because as I said, we've got all the riches out here in this country. It just depends on, I guess, connecting that to the audiences. I want to go back to COVID for a second. Brilliant. <laughs> I haven't spoken about this enough, so... <laughs> 
I mean, I'm kind of ready for a vaccine now. It's boring, isn't it? Oh, how have you been impacted? Uh, so I don't mean to be frivolous with my last comments. I appreciate that it's a, a serious thing and for a lot of people. I'm lucky in that, you know, apart from like my mom and my brother getting it and being okay afterwards, I just had to cancel my year's concerts. So we had like Father's Day concerts planned, our 10-year Jazz in the Cradle event at Nyrox, our Art Botanica, all of those things were just sort of cleared out. So a wipe of the schedule, really, and I guess size to 2021. It's time now. Yeah. It's time. It's time. Would be nice, hey? But, I mean, this thing is just such a strange uh, phenomenon and just seems to impact different people in different places so differently. Like, even just statistically speaking, I feel like so many of the statistics are too static it doesn't give you enough to read into exactly what's going on where or how so now it's just a matter of our our own etiquettes and our own consciousness and how we decide to move forward so the opportunity exists to curate it to an even higher degree if it's just such a small amount of people compared to doing it for 800 or a thousand of course so i think it's going to change things but i mean micro events sounds like quite a nice thing because also they're easier to run i think musicians can even start running their own ones you need you know two speakers and a sound desk don't need you know extra speakers bass bins all that sort of jazz you need a small small space and then it's possible so i don't know just everybody's staying on their feet and shifting with the times i guess i suppose one of the things is that limitations create a new kind of creativity yes it's actually quite nice when the parameters are so defined it actually just gives you a wilder space within it so there's a lot of potential i think in in the micro event which is something that i'm i'm looking to explore now going into spring and summer i had seen another festival had launched their first event and they were selling picnic spots so there was a price on the picnic spots. There were five people at each. They were selling 10 of them. Okay. And it came with a little offering. Nice. Which was an interesting take on it. Yeah. It's just um, us adapting, which is something that our species seems to have been pretty good at over the millennia. If those are the regulations, like you can make something still really lovely for, you know, 50 people. I've been doing a lot of work sort of intermittently in the last 10 years at the Opasturi mm. in Skierpoort, near the Michalisberg. Um, we decided to host Dan Petlansky there as our first show back after being closed since March or whatever. Also 50 people, max, pre-order what meals you're going to have. So there's none of the sort of menus and, you know, limiting waitron exchanges and people tracing and, you know, just observing the... The, the sort of safety measures and the damp clancy show for 50 people sold out in like under a day amazing it's a nice way to do it it changes things but it definitely presents an opportunity as well totally because to be honest this whole lockdown period where the only opportunity we've had to make any music well for anybody else has been via live stream part of it is um you either do it for free or you do it for tickets, or you do it for donations. donations. And somewhere along the way, that has started to feel like begging. I can see that. And it's a really hard place to position something that is so important to us. So music is the core of us. I, and I, I speak for myself, obviously. It's the very core. And then to say, in order to access this, I'm going to have to put out a, an arms bowl. Mm. it's really hard and suddenly you actually don't want to make it for anybody else and that becomes the danger is then how many artists are you going to lose because they don't want to beg for it so that's i suppose what's so exciting about now is maybe we do shows and maybe people come because that's another challenge is because no matter how good you are we're fighting for an audience that is small here of people who appreciate live music because everything online is free generally or before COVID it was your musical content 
via Spotify or, I mean, you pay your tiny little subscription and an artist gets 0.01 cents for every play. Yeah. Which is no way to make a living. No. I mean, there are there are challenges for an indie artist who is unsigned. I mean, I think there are challenges for signed artists too, but that's a whole other story. And so live shows like that where people are, are saying, hey, this is cool. Let's let's go to this. Yeah, I think I think so. Like guys from um, Hilltop, the Opie Copy guys, I know they've been doing that home stage online streaming thing, and they they invited uh, Dane Rothblitz and Michael Plaxton Harrison from Some Grow Young to do like a little duo show there at the Pasturi, and we did it. I wasn't that keen on doing any kind of like getting anywhere near live streaming just because of like technical glitches in connectivity and sound quality and visual quality and like i mean sitting in front of a laptop watching a live performance that's just not as good as the actual live performance just personally never really appealed to me but anyways we did it and it came out pretty good in in parts mm. but like it's a tough one that format i think it needs to be a bit more visceral it needs to be like right there you want to you know hear that guitars sort of tone ringing out or see the lights just catching off the the body of it or you know just there's something way more magical in the in the analog version of that as opposed to the digital so i totally sympathize with with all the artists and the event organizers you've had to sort of pivot and try these different digital avenues in order to reach their audiences but now we don't need more screen time Oh my gosh, we don't need more screen time. I suppose actually, I mean, mentioning the word screen time always makes me think of the recommendations for children as they're growing. I mean, they I don't even know exactly what it is, but it's like, and they say before one, they shouldn't have any screen time because it's all this about brain development. But what about us? What about adults? It's got to do something. It's got to impair brain development somehow. Yeah, I think, well, the thing is, you know, we're, we're also that sort of generation that is the sort of... Uh, that migration from the analog to the digital. Dan likes to call us the, the last of the tree climbers because, you know, that's that's pretty much what it is. You all know from, from being a, a young mum as well that, like, they're growing up with these screw screens and Wi-Fi and capabilities around them. Like, these little six-year-olds moving around an iPad way better than me, but that's just because that's what they know, you know. Mm -hmm. We're still the, the MacBook generation, the phone with a receiver handle generation like it's just different we don't really i think know the full implications for the younger generation or even ourselves yeah but i think just from what i can gauge personally you know the more time you can be in nature or or appreciating the arts in some form um you know instead of finding those things on a screen the, i think that's just the feeling of it is different Definitely. Having your feet bare on a grassy patch. Yes, Tori, that Nairog stage was made for you. Hey? <laughs> Definitely one of the best stages I've ever played. And even your last performance there was that uh, Honor the Father's, the Father's Day concerts. Mm. And we're talking about music and changing the world um, a bit earlier. And, you know, that was such a cool thing because we at that stage were um, in discussions with the Korean embassy about collaborating with them and bringing artists there to do a sculpture exhibition and some performance and stuff and there just happens to be a couple of their guitarists that live here in Pretoria and it was so nice to be able to invite them to join that lineup and then you obviously played with Johan and with Al mm. and like again I got such cool video and snaps of that and suddenly you're just connecting things where there was no connection before like invitations to korea that sounds like quite a <laughs> nice thing when am i going to play to 50 people over there so anything's possible when it's when it's that live that live vibe oh no that's so exciting and i must say again connections collaboration changing the world it's like starting a conversation without the words it you start to change things like that i feel like to have a conversation with music will change so much more you know, we all have our own abilities and our own roles in this place. And, you know, for all the sort of 
protest action that we see worldwide and so much of it is justified it's like it's it's fatiguing that things haven't changed or that things are still so unequal and unjust but as individuals you know there's only so much that we can do personally you know and for me the way i've always seen it is like i don't want to be against something more than i want to be for something else and music and the collaborative concerts has, has provided that sort of platform for me to be able to invite people of any kind of age, race, gender, culture, style, whatever, and to be able to like meet and speak in that global language, which is music. And, you know, suddenly you create something that is people aren't sitting there thinking about the negative things. They're there just having the positive constructs instilled. They're there seeing how wonderful a sort of unified group of humans can actually be mm. because that other stuff, the negative stuff is all just like ingrained and in old learning and like indoctrinated sort of thoughts. Like I think the, the move to a more sort of the floral way of perceiving the world and each other, you know, it needs those conduits, which usually, I, or which I hope, I think art, art will provide. Anyway, I guess that's maybe my little part in it. So I'll, I'll just keep plugging away at that. I love it. And I love that description of the floral way. Oh, it's so nice. So godly. A couple of light questions. It's the last little section to end off. Your favorite artists or your most exciting artists in South Africa right now? That's a tricky one. Like the artists that I've worked with at Nyrox over the last sort of five, six years have all been the ones that I've personally sort of wanted to work with. Obviously, there's a few others that I maybe haven't managed to get because of timing or logistics or budgets or things like that. But favorite is a tough a tough word so we'll see like for me i'm i'm happy to be celebrating the artists that are trying new things or that are sort of stepping into their own you know like i mentioned bcuc earlier like just to see their sort of rise which has just been mammoth just it's really encouraging to see stuff like that you know it can be you know across all kinds of different things like uh I've obviously worked closely with uh, the Samgri Young guys and, you know, their album is, is a quite masterful piece of work, which I think in time is going to gain a lot more traction. But yeah, I'm just also interested in the diversification of all of those, those kinds of things, you know. I mean, there's some other artists doing amazing stuff across cinematography, across uh, sculptural work, painting. Um, Dane's writing a novel, for example, like... You know, it's though like I'm I'm just more for the encouragement of the initiatives that people take on. The Urban Village is doing super well now as well. They've just been signed recently to a French label. Mm. And again, it's, these are artists who I think warrant more worldly eyes and ears on what they do. I think there's a, a deep, deep appreciation that's gonna be forming the more that they're exposed to other places in the world. Not saying that that's not the case for South Africa, but South Africa is also only so big. And, you know, with with it being so sort of musically and culturally diverse, like it sort of splits the little genres even finer. So, <laughs> you know, I think more, thinking more globally, but a lot of that music, I guess, sort of quantifies as world music in a way. So it's accessible for all the people. Okay, so in an ideal world where you have no budgetary constraints, access to any global artist out there, design your lineup. Again, I'm not like, it's a tricky one for me in, in terms of that, because I guess uh, of the direction that I've approached it from, but I would love to do something with them. Um, we've been, we work closely with the Swedish embassy They've brought a lot of uh, Swedish artists. We did a big sculpture exhibition with them a couple of years ago, which was which was quite brilliant. I'd love to bring a couple of Swedish like pop and traditional artists, and then combine them with like I say pop, but like acoustic pop. Like I'm thinking like a tallest man on earth or first aid kit or something, and then combine them with the acoustic or dream pop kind of vibe that we've got in South Africa. And then when I was looking at that, I then came across, you know, their roots music. 
um, which is this like epic sort of um, Scandinavian sort of old school sounding instruments and ways of singing and stuff. And I thought it'd be pretty cool to combine that with with some of the South African rootsy things like. I think that for me, I think just interesting combinations more than like, you know, big name things. I, I, I'm, not, I'm less interested in seeing artists perform in isolation their set mm. than I am seeing them step out of their set and into a different format or slightly turned down or here's some other crazy artists to perform with you and stuff like that. So... I mean, something along those lines. I wouldn't mind um, hosting uh, Vusi Makhlasela at one of the Roots things if I could. He's one that's eluded me oh. a little bit. And I'm a big fan of of that voice. Oh, I love Vusi. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting because it means that there are thoughts in your mind of what is next. I want to see those. I want to see those lineups. I want to see your Scandinavian lineups. Yeah, I don't mind a little Scandinavian vibe over here. But even like... Even more than that, I think, would be to take certain South African kind of acoustic artists and then do like some kind of uh, tours with them. And I mean, they can do any continent and you can add instrumentalists from any continent. And that root, like Africa is the root and the cradle of humankind is, you know, the origin of our species. The real heartbeat is, is from Africa, I think. But if you get to like travel around and get somebody on the didgeridoo with you in one place or some amazing violinist from Austria on the next or you know what I mean? Like I just think that there's, I'm more interested in that than, than any other kind of specific artist or name. I once heard about how in witnessing another artist play, it increases your cellular learning. So even if you are not learning to play the violin, for instance, the learning that you are picking up from being in the presence of someone who is playing is vast, in, like literally in your cells, and that changes you. And so I can imagine that a tour like that, playing with all these different artists, can't help but turn you into another artist at the end of it. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it, that's the thing, like it's it's sort of... It's that all-encompassing that all the artists involved, even if if you're the the sort of lead vocalist and writer, or if you're you know playing one of just the other instruments, it, it changes things. Actually, I do you remember you and Dane and Saki were invited to play that Leonard Cohen tribute? Yeah. That day we had such a nice rain, a nice afternoon shower, and it was with um, Tiboko Sidimedi on the bass and crazy backing vocals. And obviously, Vane and Darfel on, on violin. Like, I still listen to those sets. We recorded that in a hurry and we had to, like, move everything because of the weather or whatever. But, like, I still listen to those sets now. And, like, it's beautiful. It's, like, properly, properly amazing. Like, that stuff is pure gold. And for anybody that was there, they would have felt it as well. So, like, again, that suddenly exists for, for all of you. You know, if you run into Tebs or to Vane or whatever, like, you know, you guys had that experience. You're able to probably just pick up your instruments and do, not, it won't be exactly the same, obviously, but it will be, you know, a kind of already already learnt on some sort of cellular level as to, you know, how that collaboration can flow. And Absolutely. Yeah, I love that stuff. I mean, if, if you think about it like a relationship, once you've had a relationship with someone, that connection is always there. I mean, I've, I saw Tabucho play for the first time with Laurie Levine. I think she used to play a lot with Laurie. Yeah, that's what I met her as well. And that voice. No, she's amazing. She's oh. amazing. She's a real jewel, old Tibbs, the mm. bass queen. She's so cool and, like, amazing. Gee, some of those, that like, in Leonard Cohen, it's always, like, obviously gentle acoustic stuff. And then, like, some of the things Tabucho just takes the a quick bass lead solo for a few bars and then she just belts out this epic voice and she just takes you on this crazy little roller coaster of sound and then brings you straight back down and back into like the next verse and you're like jeez that is amazing like who are you and where did you come from but that's the thing like south africa it's we're rich we're rich 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 beyond what we even realize i think we've got epic epic artists and it's worth taking the time to delve into their history a little. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they've all got their story, you know, like Steve Newman, who's one of my favorite guitar players. You know, he was with the band Tananas in the, what was that, the 70s? That band was incredible. Like they, Peter Gabriel got a hold of them. They toured around the WOMAD festival circuit. He's played in like 27 different countries. Unbelievable. It's probably, probably unbelievable. I don't know. I love that stuff. I, I love being able to create a platform for arts that I that I think need to be seen and heard. That's one of my favorite things to do. So if I had an unlimited budget, I'd probably be doing the exact same thing. Mm, wonderful to know. Okay, so after everything that you've seen, what advice do you have for any young up-and-coming indie artists hoping to get on a festival lineup? Okay, like festival lineup is a, is maybe a bit of a different story. Like they've all got their different ways of vetting and submissions and who's connected to who, who's the booker, who's running the lineup, this, this, this. Like the the politics and inner machinations and even if festivals are going to even be happening again anytime soon, like it's it's impossible to know. So like, unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to give much advice on that front myself. But the advice that I can give as indie artists is to be as indie as possible. You know, have like, if you can, save up and have a small sound rig that you know can you can work for 50 people. Borrow someone's camera, get some photos, just upload stuff, make a like cheap Wix site, such as drag and drop kind of thing. Just be accessible enough that when people see you or when people hear about you or when people are curious, they're able to find all of your stuff after a couple of clicks. Oh, I can listen to this here. Oh, I'm going to add this to my Spotify playlist. Oh, they're playing at that event now. Oh, geez, I've seen this person everywhere. You should book them for your wedding. Or, yeah, aren't you doing the booking for Splashy Fen this year? Like, have you heard of this person? That kind of thing. Like, I think it, it becomes a bit more organic than it is, you know, just, you know, submitting. Because these festival guys get people submitting from all over the place. Obviously, they're, they're going to be more inclined to people who have... Uh, who are in some way established that they have a, a following that they are of a certain caliber and stuff like that so i think to just try to not get lost in the noise of all of it like to just really stand up have your business in order be able to move around to a degree by yourself and try stuff try and do different things play with different artists try and just try things it's the worst that can happen that is an amazing bit of advice just keep doing what you're doing, but work. Yeah, have your house in order. You know what you're about. You know what you want to put out. Like, I think that's a, a basic place to start from. And then, you know, I guess as with all carefully, consciously created art, you then, I guess, got to have some hope and some faith in the universe that it's going to reach the right ears and eyes. And if it's not, you've got to do what you can to, to facilitate that. Totally. And it's so great because it's so doable. Yeah, well, again, like that's that thing of the world getting smaller and smaller because we're that connected and, you know, it's that instantaneous, the way we're able to move media between us and the way we were able to, to connect with one another. Like the, the channels exist. The possibility is real. Mm. You know? It takes one person to see one video. Like we had Tony Cox up here for one of the Guitar Giants concerts, which was all like just instrumental guitar and he was telling me about John Gom, who's quite a famous guitarist now, but John Gom, nobody even knew about him until Stephen Fry happened to see a video of him, mm. just a YouTube video or something on his, somebody introduced him to it and saw it on his uh, website and they phoned him and they said, listen, Stephen Fry's about, a, Stephen Fry's people phoned his people and said, he's about a tweet about you that he's seen this amazing guitar player and we're worried that your site's gonna crash with the influx of people. So can you upgrade to this? And then we'll we'll tweet it. Did it? He travels the world now playing his music. That is so exciting. It takes one moment. But the power is in your hands. If he didn't make the video, if it wasn't up there, if he wasn't accessible, if <laughs> all those things, if he wasn't as good as he is, like, you know, if that that whole thing wasn't wasn't aligned like that, then he wouldn't even have had that chance. So, I mean, we can't all rely on Stephen Fry's, you know, tweeting habits, but at least have your at least have your your shop in order. I love that. Now, if you're listening, 
go and get your shop in order and keep making music. So now, very last thing, how can people get hold of you? I'm uh, notoriously obscure, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> we'll find out more about what you're doing at least. My work at the moment is at the Opastery in Skierpoort near the Michalisburg. So they've got a website, opastery.com. And they're on all the socials, and that's where we're doing um, a whole bunch of our first sort of 50-person concerts. So that's where Dan's happening, got some jazz coming, a few other bits and pieces. The NyroxArts.com websites. Also, as soon as we are safely allowed to be doing concerts again, I think we'll we'll look to do that. I do miss those concerts. They <laughs> they were a good magic. They're a stressful thing for the organizer, but they're worth it. So, yeah, between Nyrox and the Opastery, those are my two my two babies at the moment. And if I can tempt a link out of Lloyd Anthony, I will post it in the show notes. But if not, find Nyrox and the Opastori. And um, thank you for being on our show. Very glad to be here, Victoria. Thanks for inviting me. It's a lovely setup here. Nice things to chat about. Feeling in, in good spirits about all these things and, and optimistic for our little industry and, and what's possible in the upcoming future. I can't wait to see what you do. Likewise, Tori. If you are an indie artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on Instagram at ShotgunTori. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.
songs from the leaves With so wild wings Out of soft broken days Transmit so fine rings Word of cradle for kings But you and I We don't know how we're making this View the sky From underneath your snaking head Through the eye Of similarly taken dream Still you and I We don't know how we're making this You and I We don't know how we're making this You. Mm-hmm. 